Welcome to the Urban Grace Weekly Podcast. Urban Grace is an inclusive ecumenical church in the heart of downtown Tacoma, Washington, that seeks to be a spiritual home for folks from all sorts of backgrounds. Come check us out Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the corner of 9th and Market. And of course, there are more details at urbangrace.org. Our scripture this morning comes from John, the first chapter. The next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the Law and the Prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son, from Nazareth. Nathanael responded, can anything from Nazareth be good? Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, here is a genuine Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, how do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are God's son. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. I assure you that you will see heaven open and God's angels going up to heaven and down to earth on the human one. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. Uh, I am Abigail, and I am here as uh, your parish associate for intercultural ministries. I'm also in the pulpit today because Pastor Ben is at home with his son, Sage, who's, I think, eight days old today. So I have this privilege of being with you today, and hopefully, if you pray with me now, we will learn from and with one another. Join me in a moment. Life-giving source. We ask that in our listening and in our speaking today, we would honor the sacrifices of those who have come to bring about great change. That we would take our place among them, that we would work in the ways they taught us to work, that we would follow and learn from them. Amen. Nathaniel has a skeptic side. He's got a lot of logic blended in and some creativity. And I come from a background where we have our own way of relating to scientific facts. And there's an entire stream of literature we call magical realism that comes from the culture of where that, that raised me. And this is how I see this text play out. So imagine with me, if you will, some of you might be familiar with the work of Isabella Allende or Gabriel Garcia Marquez and the way that they describe in detail things that seem factual. 
the laws of physics, typical chronological time, and cellular biology, and they apply those to the stories, but they don't necessarily mean the same thing they mean in a laboratory or scientific study. In the end, just when you give up trying to make sense of all of this genealogy and geography and chronology, that's when it all starts to seem perfectly plausible and totally believable. The story of Philip and Nathaniel is a great example of this kind of reality bending when we encounter the divine. Jesus decides he's going to leave town. So he finds Philip. And Philip decides to go along. And he invites his friend Nathaniel on the adventure. So Nathaniel is obviously obviously, somewhat out of touch with the gossip because this is the first time that he's hearing about this and so he is skeptical. Well, Philip is a good guy and he knows his friend Nathaniel won't believe anything until it's proven. He knows Nathaniel to have studied geography, culture, history, religion. Nathaniel is not emotional or prone to follow the crowd. And so begins Nathaniel's adventure. And this is the part in the sermon where I feel the easy way out would be to tell you that Nathaniel was or will be transformed. And I, I, I really did think about saying that, but then I'm not going to say that. This word transformation, I hear it used in so many different ways. I kind of... I can't figure out what it means anymore. And I don't know if that's because I, I learned to speak Spanish from English speakers and English from Spanish speakers, or I'm just out of touch with reality a lot of the time. So at the risk of falling into the trap of preaching transformation, I'm just going to say this. I think maybe transformation is a fancy way of describing change so that we won't be so fearful when change comes for us. But change is real, so I can either fear it or embrace it. I try to do it in small ways, and that, that's always, that never, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a non-starter. The second Sunday in the season of Epiphany, that's where we find ourselves right now in the church calendar. It's right about the time I begin to notice the changes that are caused by New Year's resolution. I told myself this year, I would go to the YMCA and at least walk on the treadmill every day so I can think my own thoughts for 10 minutes. And if I skip a day, I told myself, see, this, I, we were in deep negotiations, myself and I. If I skip a day, I have to do something else that passes or classifies as self-care. So, I've been going to the YMCA. I've also been flossing a lot more than I was. These are not huge changes for me. I don't 
want to take on too much, so I chose things that are not that far out of my normal routine. And change is hard. But these changes, this uh, flossing and YMCA visits uh, are having some serious effects already. Just not the intended or desired effects. I wanted to get faster or stronger or something like that. I wanted to control the outcome. Instead, I'm noticing how hard it is for me to take better care of myself. So I'm starting to sound a little bit like Nathaniel, skeptical. I'm asking scientific questions. How much protein do I need to eat? How much time on the treadmill? Can anything good come of this? Uh, but the answers to the questions, because the questions themselves, they're coming from a place inside of me that doesn't necessarily need science. It wants a cure for my soul. So I've been looking for examples of lasting changes that undo significant harm over long periods of time. And I realized the other day that I may have found the right one when I stumbled onto this video. It's sciencey, but it also makes me feel all the feelings. Will you play the video? One of the most exciting scientific findings of the past half century has been the discovery of widespread trophic cascades. A trophic cascade is an ecological process which starts at the top of the food chain and tumbles all the way down to the bottom. And the classic example is what happened in the Yellowstone National Park in the United States when wolves were reintroduced in 1995. Now, we, we all know that wolves kill various species of animals, but perhaps we're slightly less aware that they give life to many others. Before the wolves turned up, they'd been absent for 70 years, that the numbers of deer, because there was nothing to hunt them, had built up and built up in the Yellowstone Park, and despite efforts by humans to control them, they'd managed to reduce much of the vegetation there to almost nothing. They'd just grazed it away. But as soon as the wolves arrived, even though they were few in number, they started to have the most remarkable effects. First, of course, they killed some of the deer, but that wasn't the major thing. Much more significantly, they radically changed the behavior of the deer. The deer started avoiding certain parts of the park, the places where they could be trapped most easily, particularly the valleys and the gorges. And immediately, those places started to regenerate. In some areas, the height of the trees quintupled in just six years. Bare valley sides quickly became forests of aspen and willow and cottonwood. And as soon as that happened, the birds started moving in. The number of songbirds and migratory birds started to increase greatly. The number of beavers started to increase because beavers like to, to eat the trees. And 
Beavers, like wolves, are ecosystem engineers. They create niches for other species. And the dams they built in the rivers um, provided habitats for otters and muskrats and ducks and fish and reptiles and amphibians. The wolves killed coyotes. And as a result of that, the number of rabbits and mice began to rise, which meant more hawks, more weasels, more foxes, more badgers. Ravens and bald eagles came down to feed on the carrion that the wolves had left. Bears fed on it too, and their population began to rise as well, partly also because there were more berries growing on the regenerating shrubs. And the bears reinforced the impact of the wolves by killing some of the calves of the deer. Here's where it gets really interesting. The wolves changed the behavior of the rivers. They began to meander less. There was less erosion. The channels narrowed. More pools formed. More riffle sections, all of which were great for wildlife habitats. The rivers changed in response to the wolves. And the reason was that the regenerating forests stabilized the banks so that they collapsed less often, so that the rivers became more fixed in their course. Similarly, by driving the deer out of some places and the vegetation recovering on the valley sides, there was a soil erosion because the vegetation stabilized that as well. So the wolves, small in number, transformed not just the ecosystem of the Yellowstone National Park, this huge area of land, but also its physical geography. Science tells us that every small change can have lasting effects. Nathaniel, with his critical thinking ability and logical mind, subscribed to the idea that the small facts and actions can mean an awful lot. He accounts for the details of Jesus' hometown. And then when Jesus figures him out, before they can even shake hands, Nathaniel asks one clarifying question, synthesizes the data and reports on his findings. That's when, according to the Gospel of John's sort of magical realism style, Jesus basically tells Nathaniel, now just watch. So if I'm selling transformation, because nobody wants to buy gospel of change, that's a little scary, I tell you that it's time to step into the time machine and see the future version of your you-only-live-once-best-life self. Instead, I'm just going to point to the wolves and shrug. I don't know, maybe. Maybe these small details... Small groups of people who care, who hear someone calling to them. Come on, let's go. Let's go find out. Now, what the video didn't explain is that the wolves will never be able to undo the major issues like climate change. Things will never go back to the way it was before things got off kilter. However, 
After all these years, the wolves had their impact on the habitat, have changed politics in the counties around the park. And it has changed the hearts and priorities of the politicians to the extent that the agendas toward environmental stewardship have changed. Watching the changes in the park has changed the hearts of the people. You see, this is about a concept called trophic cascade, like the effects of just a few wolves at the top of the food chain. It makes me wonder about the way God, the scientists, the universe, the poets, the prophets, your loved ones, your family members are inviting you and all of us really to step into the wilderness of changes ahead. I don't know exactly what changes you're up against, but I believe you're going to face one or two in the time that we know each other. During the season that we call after Epiphany, we're using candles to pray. The candles might seem like they don't do a whole lot. We have, you know, electrical lights and some light from the windows to help us to see one another. But as you come forward and participate in this wordless form of prayer, we light these candles so we can see our concerns, our hopes, our questions burning in the space the way they are burning in our hearts and minds. So I'm going to invite you to come forward as the musicians play. And as you light the candles and as you watch your worshiping community move around, I invite you also to notice and wonder about the changes that have been prayed for today. The change that is scary or the change that will bring comfort. And remember that we are not alone in all of this. We are here together and we can be a part of the difference in the name of the God who calls, the Christ who answers, and the mysterious spirit that makes all things plausible. Amen. <laughs>